Welcome to the Boss Podcast, the best of social selling. Your host, Mark McInnes, Australia's number one social seller, brings you expert opinion, tactics, and discussion to help you get more out of your time on social. Welcome to the Boss Podcast. Here we have Masterclass 2. Today's topic is the biggest social selling mistakes that people are making and what you should do instead. This is the podcast that helps you become better at using social for sales and lead generation. Today, we've got another masterclass. And as usual, we have the two masterminds along to help out, Tuna Ho and Stuart P. Turner. Hello. Morning. Morning. By the way, Stu, what, what does the P stand for, by the way? Well, it's a mystery, Mark, <laughs> that many people have asked about, which I'll reveal in a later episode. <laughs> I, I don't maybe pipsqueak. <laughs> I might take, uh, yeah, I'll take answers and then pick the best one and then maybe just change what it means to that. Okay. So we'll get to put that in the show notes. Uh, we're going to get people to guess what they think your P's for. Need a reason to come back. Okay. So as I said, today's episode, the biggest social selling mistakes people make on LinkedIn and what they should be doing instead. So as a reminder, our, our goal here is to try and provide our lovely listeners with tactical, actionable strategies that they can go and do to help them build out nice social selling program. It's designed to start more conversations with their ideal clients. So to bring as much value as we can, let's jump straight in with some of these strategies. We've got two each. Well, I hope we've got two each. So Tino, maybe you can go first with your first one. What's your first strategy? or the first mistake that people make, I should say? My one's um, basic but often forgotten, and that is thinking at a channel, a tool level, rather than the actual customer. So what I mean by that is a lot of people use, in the context of social selling, let's say the go-to platform, particularly in B2B, is LinkedIn. And and so if that works and it's a great tool or channel to reach your audience and get some outcomes, it doesn't mean that's the only thing you use. So there's a time to use that at the right time in amongst using picking up the phone, sending an email, meeting in person. But I think a lot of the biggest mistake is a lot of people just hone in on one channel and they think that that can solve all of their problems when that is the biggest mistake from my point of view. It's what should be done is looking at the whole customer experience and say what combination and when should you use each tool or channel to deliver the right customer experience um, or engagement. Love it. Okay. So is there any sort of combinations that you know works better than others? What we've seen that works really well is kind of the marketing rule of seven. If you look at the whole end-to-end customer journey, so engaging or looking at seven touch points before you can start to build some traction. So that might be starting on social and connecting and then a subsequent message and then pushing out something through the feed, maybe then an email and then followed up by a phone call. But whatever that combination ends up being, is most appropriate for your specific target customer. Rule of seven is where I've seen things that start to work quite quite well. And so I think it'll be a different combination for each person's audience. But I think um, in terms of number of touch points, I think seven's a good sort of guide to work by. I think this is quite quite interesting actually, because this goes back to something we um I know we've all talked about quite a lot that we touched on in the first session, Mark, which is the whole idea that Social selling is a bit of a misnomer because it isn't really just about selling. So, like, a good, like an extension of what Tino is saying is you often find if you're a salesperson 
and people are like, oh, go jump into LinkedIn, do some, do some selling on LinkedIn. Most use cases of social are actually in the marketing space and you kind of, you're not necessarily going to get the best outcomes if you just try and jump in and adopt like the, you know, sales 101 prospecting and, you know, data gathering and then trying to generate leads because you have to learn to do stuff a bit differently. And, um, you know, to Tino's point, if you expect that one channel to be able to just support a process that you're using in other spaces, it isn't necessarily going to work in the way that you want it to, which is a bit unfair on the people and obviously, you know, kind of uh, generates a bad experience across the board. So, um, yeah, it's quite, quite interesting. We see that quite a lot all over the show. So I think it was um, Jill Rowley said, a fool with a tool is still a fool. <laughs> so if you're a bad salesperson or, or bad marketer or you've got poor communication skills offline, then you're just going to bring those strategies online. So, you know, if you're a bitchy, spammy kind of salesperson or a desperate salesperson, that's going to be congruent through your online activity as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But also a challenge. I think I've heard it often being said by a lot of sales professionals where they say all you need is a phone and a computer. Yes, you could probably get some success with that, but it's hard work. And I only think it's getting harder and becoming less effective. So I think that approach just doesn't work in today's kind of modern modern world. Okay. So Tino's, so summary, omni-channel. Is that right? I mean, that's another way to put it. Absolutely. Okay. So did you want to say anything to round out that last piece, Tito, or? No, I think that's pretty accurate of what, uh, what I was trying to articulate. So yeah, that, that's my uh, tip. Can I ask you a question, Mark, following on from what you were just saying there? Um, sure. You know, the point you make it, well, it's a follow-on point from both, I guess. So if we're saying that you should be on many channels, but if you're basically, you know, crap at your job, then you're going to be crap in way more places. Like, how do you work with a lot of, like, salespeople directly? How do you, um, how do you tell if someone's crap to start with and how do you stop them from being bad and help them to be better? <laughs> it's really about having... A bit of empathy, if you like, about what the people on the other end of the communication channel are receiving. You know, so some of these cadences and these sorts of things, you know, where they talk about call in the morning, send a text message, send a social media thing in the in the afternoon, and then call again and leave another message. I mean, I don't think that's very customer centric. So if you can get a salesperson or anybody to take the approach and think about what's happening on the other end of that communication channel, what would those people like to be receiving from you? And, and if you're just trying to sell a meeting because you need a meeting, as opposed to leading with insights and bringing value, you know, bringing something that's going to make their life easier, maybe it's a, something as cheesy as an invitation to an event, or it could be a really interesting piece of research. If you're leading with that type of stuff, then you're going to be significantly easier to bring that, those skills across to social. Yeah, And I actually think it doesn't matter what me, once you've got those skills, it doesn't matter what the medium is. It's just about delivering it consistently. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Okay, back to you, Stu. Yeah, I was just uh, I was playing for a bit of time, really. I was still thinking. Joking. I'm fully, I'm fully prepared. <laughs> fully prepared. Um, yeah, I was, well, I suppose following on from that, my first one is just to be more direct. So I see a lot of people messaging me and struggling with the problem of like how do I say what I want but not sound like I'm trying to do blah 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 and um I think there's a few interesting things that kind of come under this challenge one is like even more so now obviously nobody likes to have their time wasted and I don't think obviously from from where I'm from uh, back home people are fairly direct anyway but there's no there's nothing wrong with being clear about why you're getting in touch or what you what you're trying to do or say as long as you're not doing it in a like a weird robotic way 
And I think the other thing that I find really annoying is when you can clearly see that someone's leading up to some sort of crap sales pitch at some point, but you're going to get another like three or four, you know, fluffer messages or interactions beforehand, which just, to be honest, really like pisses me off to start with. So I'm like even less likely to care about what that person's going to say when they get around to it. So, um, you know, I guess to your point about cadence and having something interesting to say, like you don't just throw it in someone's face with no context, but I think being sort of uh, very clear about why you're getting in touch and making that relevant is something that I th- I appreciate because it just makes it easier for me to understand whether it's going to be, you know, the kind of thing that I'm interested in um, and, you know, the kind of person that you want to have a conversation with, I guess. So can you give me an example of, of a direct, like something that, like a good version of what you're talking about, a good version of direct communication? Yeah, so I suppose it falls into two two sort of buckets that I see all the time. So there's two big groups of people I tend to connect with or, you know, sort of talk to a lot on um, online. So one is um, what I would term sort of more casual, just networking type conversations where there isn't necessarily a specific, oh, something's going to happen right now. But you start a conversation about something that you're both interested in or, you know, you'd be commenting on an article and get a bit of a chat going or, you know, there's just some sort of common ground or, you know, mutual interest. And you're like, oh, okay, we're both interested in this thing. Great. And then you might send them a request to connect and be like, oh, so you commented on this thing. Like, let's just, you know, let's connect and stay in touch or whatever. So that that stuff where you've had some clear interaction and there's, you know, something that's happened and it's it's obvious, I suppose, is the looser one. The second one in the more of the sales use case or the, you know, something is going to happen bucket is I've been getting a load more of these again, like just cheapo development houses do this really badly all the time where someone will connect with you and be like, oh, I came across your amazing profile um, in industry, insert industry here. Um, <laughs> you, you've been doing some amazing non-specific things, which I noticed that I won't mention. It'd be great to connect. And then you look at who that person is and it's like, you know, salesperson for... I don't know, development, blah, 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 in some random country miles away. And I'm like, they, you know, if you connect with them, you're just going to get another weird message. And then they'll be like, does your insert business name here require development services for like something probably that we don't do? And it's like that stuff, you're like, well, one, I guess it's just badly targeted. But two, you just be like, look, just, you know, just make it more clear that you're clearly going to try and sell me development stuff in some way. Don't make me like walk down the merry garden path of, you know, five messages about what, we might have in common and why I'm amazing, which you clearly don't believe anyway. Um, so yeah, I guess that, that insincerity uh, is annoying to me, basically, is the short version. Okay, interesting. Okay, so my first one was basically show up. Like if you're going to be on platform, you know, be consistent about it. So you make sure you're out there, you know, once every, whatever your rhythm is. So obviously the three of us are on LinkedIn multiple times a day, and I know that's not going to suit everybody. But, you know, show up on LinkedIn, make it, you know, your... Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, think whatever it is, be there, interact with people, and then put a bit of yourself out there. And it doesn't need to be content, but you know, actually interact. I found it really interesting when I've been deleting my connections. So I deleted about two percent of my network in the last week, predominantly from people in other time zones. And what I found was, you know, I had no interaction with with some of these people at all. And as soon as I deleted them, they've sent me a friend request. That's friend request, a connection request. With no, you know, hey, I thought we were connected. No language at all. <laughs> They're like, Mark, I thought we were. I thought we were friends. What's happened? I, I mean, I, I would reconnect if they said what, like, if they had done something, like if they'd like some content or, you know. But clearly, they're paying enough attention that they know when I've viewed their profile in order to disconnect. And and I just think that's very difficult. Mm. For, you know, so if you're leaving that entire process, 
up to the LinkedIn algorithm to fit, to build your feed because you're not interacting at all, then that's going to be a pretty ugly life on LinkedIn. I mean, you're not going to get the content that you want because obviously the algorithm looks at what you're doing, what you're liking, what you're commenting on and feeds you more of that sort of stuff. If you're not doing that, then you're missing out on the benefits of the algorithm as much as people give the algorithm a bad name. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, man. I think, um, I mean, that's exactly what we were talking about last week, right? Where you're like, last week, yesterday, whenever it was, I'm losing track of time. If you're just on there to just have a presence and just spray out stuff and just be like, oh, well, I'm here. Like, yeah, it's, you, you don't really get like the social side, right? Yeah. I thought about this the other day. And this is it actually happened this week. And there was someone, I won't name names, but there was someone who um, I'm connected with, not only on LinkedIn, but also Facebook. He never, well, very, very rarely interacts. I think in the last, on Facebook, the last five years, he's had like three posts uh, on LinkedIn, probably two dissimilar. And when I spoke to him on the phone, he mentioned a couple of things that I'd posted. I didn't even think he even looked on his feed. So why that's interesting, what that tells me is that a lot, there are a lot of people that don't actively contribute, but they're actually still, there's still a high level of awareness and they see it in the feed. And I think it comes down to depending on what you're trying to achieve. If you're trying to drive awareness, it's probably not a bad thing to still be connected with them because they'll probably see you. But if you're trying to do something more than that, then yeah, there's a difference. You might think differently around whether it's still worth connecting with them or not. But so yeah, I thought about that exact same thing this week. So where I think the value is, if you're the person that's not interacting, I think you're really missing out. So if, if they're in our network and they're seeing our content, that's great for us, okay? Because we're still, that connection is still valuable to us, particularly if they are in our target market and they like what we're posting. My comment is if you're that person and you're not interacting, you're really putting yourself behind the eight ball. A, you're not getting any of the benefits of the visibility. So I, I think the challenge really is for the person that's not interacting, they're making it very difficult for themselves to get real value out of the platform and they're left at the behest of the LinkedIn algorithm. And then it would be much easier to lose faith in the algorithm if you're not taking control of your feed because I can see them now going, this is rubbish. There's all this stuff in my feed that I don't like. And that's because you're not interactive. That's the point that I'm trying to make. Yeah, right. I think that is a pretty good point, actually, because this, you know, throwing in a cheeky 1.1 point, I think another mistake people make a lot is is exactly what you're saying, Mark, which is not very, um, not very mindfully using the platform and being aware of how it actually works because obviously each social network is effectively like a, a mini ecosystem not just because they're based around different formats of content but because of the way they all work and understanding the nuances of how exactly as you're saying how the algorithm works how they try and connect people and show people different things is is really important because otherwise stuff can just happen to you like i don't know if you guys followed the whole um you know shadow ban sort of influencer gate whatever it was a couple of years ago on instagram when everyone was panicking because you know all their fake followers couldn't see all their other fake followers and you know all those people who were just constantly shilling products on there were just having a panic attack because instagram had changed their algorithm and was like massively reducing their visibility if you don't know how instagram's algorithm works and how they manage things like that you could have just been screwed over and if you're making money out of being a, an influencer then that could be your business that's just turned over through through no fault of your own really so yeah, it's, it's super important. As you say, the, the sort of social side of that is what drives it. So um, yeah, I, kind of get what you, I get what you're driving at. Okay, nice work. So let's go back to Tino. I can't even remember what order we're in, but Tino, let's give us your um, second. Well, he, was, he was hot for number two earlier, so hopefully he still will be. Let's give us your second mistake and how to fix it. 
Uh, I'm a huge fan of measurement because you've probably heard the saying, uh, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And, and I'm sick of yeah, rule here. Yeah. And so I, in terms of measurement, but specifically in terms of your list or target audience and network, I think the biggest mistake that a lot of people have is they don't even know who their audience is, how big it is, and how much of that audience have penetrated. So of your connection, are you connected with the audience you're going after and how much of that audience are you connected with? So I, I think that's an overlooked um, and common mistake, um, but very easily solved. And so there's one thing you can do if you have Sales Navigator and using LinkedIn as a proxy to who your audience is, a really simple way and very effective way to, to, to address that. And all you do is if you have your audience definition lined up, you know, and you're very clear on who that is, you construct the list in Sales Navigator and you just filter it by first-degree connections and then you compare that to filtering it with that first-degree connection off and the difference is the proportion of that audience you're actually penetrating or have reached to. So that's my second tip. Yeah, I really love that. And then I actually get my students to divide that by their total number of connections to get a percentage, and I call that the strength rating. Oh, yeah, nice. So you might have 21% or 55% or whatever the case may be. So for a long time, I was trying to keep my strength rating at above 80%. Anybody in sales in APAC, and I was pretty successful, they got a bit out of control lately, so I don't think I'm quite there, to be honest. That's really good, Tino. That's a good strategy. Yeah, and I think like if anyone from LinkedIn is listening, this is where there's a massive gap in the tools at the moment where like the metrics that are inside any of the LinkedIn tools are standard are pretty um, basic to me and not particularly useful. So like it's interesting that both, well, all, all of us have had to basically make our own to, to measure the stuff that we're trying to achieve. So um, yeah, that's a good one. Just to throw lastly in there, if there's any sales leaders or people who manage teams listening, I think... What one interesting way to do it is actually look at that across the whole team rather than just one person as well. So often, more often than not, we get asked that we get asked, "How do you do it across the whole team?" Well, that gives you a better sense of whole market approach across the whole team rather than just for for one person. And, and so, technical question: Would you do that on Team Link, or would you do that individually and then report individually to create the group score? Would probably do use one profile to get the whole. You just need one sales navigator license to get an idea of what the whole market size is so that you know what the size of the market is. And then in terms of your individual team members, you then say, well, of their connections, which you need to do individually, how much of that whole audience are they connected with? And you aggregate that up against the whole audience and then you get an idea, a clear picture of how much of the market you're actually connected with. Okay, nice. So mistake two for Tino, make sure you've got the right people in your network, correct? Yeah, yeah, and have to have, know what it is. Like, yeah, measure it. Have a measurement. They take a bit of a measured approach to it. So, based on that, I'm going to change my mistake, my second mistake, to being connecting with everybody. So, just those, you know, I think the biggest mistake people make, or one of the biggest mistakes, is they try to build their network based focused on the numbers of connections. So, it's a bit like what you're saying, but it's probably a little bit more of a tactical way to start working on that. And that is, you know, people just send. All of us, everybody, connection requests as soon as they see your profile and we're compelled to accept those connections without really thinking about what that's going to do to the quality of our network. So this type of feeds into yours, Tino. And I think the challenge is that LinkedIn want people to be connected with as many people as possible. That's what they want. That works really nicely for Microsoft. So they're trying to 
gamify that or make that happen where it actually doesn't work really well for us. Yeah, and I've I've heard you often. Uh, you when I um, even going back a few years when we met, Mark. You I know that you've always been a big fan of. You've mentioned culling culling your network and being really tightly focused on just connecting with the right people, um, rather than bigger isn't always better. In other words, yeah. So I'm so far down that track. It's not funny. I, I just think that <laughs> um, it, it like I just don't know how you can. Well, I actually know people who have got. 200,000 connections and they've said to me that they can't use LinkedIn effectively anymore because they've got too many people. I've got people that have said to me, don't send me any messages on LinkedIn because I just can't see them. There's so much stuff there. There's no chance for me finding you amongst everything else. And I think that's a shame because what's the whole idea is supposed to be social networking, right? If you can't talk to somebody on the platform, you've clearly screwed it up. Am I on the wrong path or? This is an interesting challenge that LinkedIn face at the moment just because their platform is not sort of as functionally useful as it could be I think it was probably a nice way of putting it because like the inbox is pretty terrible right like it's um there's an amazing lack of ability to filter or sort of effectively search for people the actual search is pretty horrible it's quite hard to keep track of but I also think flip side if you're the kind of person who builds a massive network and then is effectively saying oh I can't be asked to you know talk to people because I'm so popular then that just kind of makes you sound like a bit of a, a bit of a dickhead. So I think you, you know, you can't have it both ways. If you want to have a massive network and still engage with them, you have to make the effort to engage with everybody. And if you've chosen the wrong tools for the job, then that's kind of on you, right? Not in your connections that are trying to interact with you in a place that you've made it appear that you're willing to interact. So yeah, I don't really, I don't think, I don't think that uh, holds a lot of water. That excuse. Well, it's not Instagram, and I think that's the that's the challenge, right? People think. I'll get as many followers, connections as I possibly can, and then that way I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. And I think that's where a lot of those connection requests come from. You know, and the other challenge is that, you know, people are sending connection requests with really spammy connection messages like you pointed out earlier, <laughs> yeah. Stuart. You know, so it's almost got to the point now where you get a message and you think, oh, my God, this person's going to try and pitch me. If you don't get a message, you think, oh, my God, this person's, a, you know, it's just connecting to add extra people to their connection numbers so yeah 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 it's definitely quite funny you can uh, maybe you can't maybe it's just because we're on there all the time but i just think you can really tell when someone's because even if you're sending out like automated requests i think you can tell when someone's put some effort into them versus just being like i'll just pick a connection request number seven from this list of cheaply uh, written connection requests from off the shelf connection request.com and like yeah they're just they're just horrible like like embarrassingly bad basically <laughs> Oh, sorry, what was that website again, just so I can get that? I'll send it, I'll send it to you after. <laughs> okay, so that's my second one is don't connect with everybody, which, of course, dovetails nicely into Tino's build your network deliberately. That's my language on yours there, Tino. Sorry if I've hijacked that a little. So, Stuart, what's your second mistake that you see people are doing and how should they fix it? Well, almost as if we'd somewhat prepared. My second point is... Um, so when you're interacting with people, just try and react less and just sort of take a breath before you do something. So without making myself sound like a million years old, this has happened since basically the dawn of social media where, you know, people just see a comment, they like, you can see like the cartoon steam coming out of their ears and they immediately start angrily like smashing their keyboard to send out a response to something. And again, going back to something we talked about last time both in virtue of not wasting your own time and other people's and just starting arguments that really bear no useful fruit. If you see things in your feeds that are annoying you, I think you just, as a good example, 
rather than just sitting down and being like, oh my God, why the f*** do you say this, you moron? What are you even doing in the public domain with opinions? Just, you know, have a, have a moment to reread what you've just read. Actually think about whether, A, you should even bother responding, because if you really disagree that much, like, are you going to convince someone to change their opinion in one comment? Highly unlikely. And two, if you do have something to say and you genuinely do disagree, just try and do it a bit more positively and constructively and have a proper conversation, you know, like polite grown up instead of shouting like a big baby. And I think if everyone just did that more, then there would be much more positive conversation across every social network and a lot less, you know, of the triggered, pointless back and forth that seems to populate a lot of the comment threads that I see everywhere. So this is probably a good question for Mr. Marketing Strategy Tino, but isn't a common strategy that people promote to be deliberately contrarian, to be deliberately argumentative? So, you know, the classic example is social media or the, you know, use LinkedIn or the phone, but don't you dare use both, you know, phone's dead, social's dead. You know, isn't that, you know, that whole be argumentative to start conversations, Tino? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a balance because I think what I've seen uh, work quite well is when people do go on a little bit of a rant and if it strikes the right chord with some people because they can relate to it. So I think but you don't want to over-egg it and just only post rants and yell like a baby like Stu was saying. But I think there's a bit of a fine balance because I think there's nothing wrong with expressing your point of view, which might be a passionate point of view on something and having a bit of an outlet to do it. But I think you want to do it in a constructive way as well, which is what I think Stu's trying to get at. So yeah. um, I think it's just getting the right balance. I don't think you not, should not do it at all, but right balance, keep it constructive as well. I think to, just to further that point, the, the key thing is there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with being contrarian and kind of being provocative. That's fine. But I think with particular reference to a lot of stuff I see on LinkedIn, it's just drifting into that territory of like, very surprisingly abusive comments there's loads of like really ill thought out kind of um sexist racist stuff that i see in comment threads where you're like obviously you shouldn't be posting that anyway but it's amazing that people would post that with their like job and their name next to them which is i'm kind of like in a way i'm like well you know fair play if you're going to be a massive racist at least you're you know you're really sticking by that and you you can see where you work and uh, just going for it. But at the same time, you're like, nah, shouldn't, you probably just shouldn't really, should you? I love that you brought this up because one of the mistakes I was going to mention was posting stuff that's completely going to damage your brand. On Facebook, you know, or any of the, some of those other social media platforms, it's really easy to put yourself into a group. But when you're on a business platform, you, you need to make sure, I think, that you're not isolating 50% of the population by saying your political views are red, you know, yeah, or whatever. And then putting a stake in the ground and fighting like crazy because I just think that makes it really difficult. And I saw an example during the bushfires. So remember our Prime Minister copped an absolute pounding and there was a couple of, couple of, junior, so. <laughs> a couple of junior business developers. So the, and this is the point. They're, they're young men. They're like 25, making really outlandish comments and put it, you know, supporting the PM. But going beyond that, and I did a bit of a search on sales managers inside their network. So you know how you can see who's connected. And potential employers, there was like 700 potential employers in their feed where they just go, if those gentlemen came to me for a job, I'd remember that and go, there's no way I'm going to employ these guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember you from somewhere. Hang on, where was it? Oh, right, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Imagine pulling that out in an interview, though. That'd be amazing. Where you'd be like, oh, is there any, you know, have you got anything to safety self whatever you could be like do, do you remember posting this uh, last year 
Great. Worst thing is, it's like it's imprinted on. It's in the digital landscape. You can't. It's hard to backtrack. It's not as if you verbally say. Mm-hmm. No, it there's an order trail of it. So yeah, you're totally right, Mark. I think protecting your um, reputation online is is um, is massively important, but often forgotten. Yeah, totally. I think it's it's literally amazing how much people just you know kind of all write without thinking, and then I mean, even you look at the EU with the whole right to be forgotten. Um, discussion that's been going on there with their battle against google like this this stuff that's on the internet that's literally there forever basically it's um yeah i think you just need to have a bit more care before you start writing down wild things that you don't want people to necessarily pull back up in a few years time yeah so got a bit of a, a challenge now we've just spent 30 minutes giving linkedin a bad name i didn't actually think about this so, <laughs> uh, it makes it sound like yeah, it's crap. Yeah. Delete your profile. Done. So, a question without notice, guys. I think we need to pump up the social platform. You know, so just as we end this episode, give us you know an example or or te- you know make the listeners feel like they need to be spending some time on social after we've just told everybody <laughs> the biggest mistakes. Let's end on a positive. Tino, can you think? I know this is without notice, so it could be pretty rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> What a backhanded compliment that was, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I think I think it's this week I put up a post. I actually took a screenshot of the TV screen when I was watching uh, watching Bloomberg, and uh, one of the stats that came out of it was that there's a 51 percent surge or increase in networking on the platform. That's in the UK specifically, and so you know what that tells us as a data point is that it's a very common go-to place for a lot of executives. And so um, that means your audience or who you want to communicate and engage with are using the platform. And that means people not people aren't going to use it if it's not a value to them. So I, I do think it's a highly valuable platform which people use. And you just obviously got to have a bit of a plan and approach and knowing how to use it. But it's a massively valuable platform. And to be honest, our business, we've sort of grown over the last few years. And a lot of the success, not all, but a large majority of it has been thanks to the LinkedIn platform because we can actually reach the executive or our target audience we're trying to build a relationship with. Stu, any last words of praise? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, a lot of what we've talked about is actually the people problems as opposed to, uh, I think, LinkedIn problems, which, you know, you're never going to get away from, unfortunately. Positive side of the network for me is um, I quite like, or my my best experiences on all, all social networks have been when they've been going through those sort of transitional periods from one thing to another before they get, you know, destroyed by advertising or massive investment so what i like about linkedin is like i I don't think that necessarily is going to happen because one they're obviously owned by microsoft now who um i don't think have a need to ruin the platform by driving loads of advertising revenue through it so i don't think you'll see the same kind of sweeping changes that to me had a very negative impact on things like facebook and um instagram and like twitter not to say they're bad networks but i think they fundamentally changed not for the better, in my opinion, when they when they had to make money. And I think what LinkedIn does really well is people are still having quite a lot of fun if you ignore all the boring, repeated business content because there's like nice new formats of posts um, and promoted content coming out. The way they actually weave in promoted content, I actually think works quite well. And like, yes, there's some clunky bits of the user experience and it could it be better, obviously, but I actually think they're in a really good spot at the moment with the mix of organic and paid options like the fact that you as tino was saying you can break down a lot of barriers that would previously have been there and speak to a lot of people that you would or at least i would never get in front of if i was there in real life 
but you know, I can look way more interesting and important than I am on the online, which is, which is great. Uh, and then, you know, that, that whole, if they can keep that going and keep it really useful and maintain those good parts of social, you know, actual meeting people, getting to know people, having a good time. Like I think it will continue to be a very popular professional tool. Um, yeah, so that's the that's the upside for me. That's why I spend a lot of time there, and I don't really spend a lot of time on other social networks now. Yeah, and and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, well, how did I meet you two guys? By accident, I'd imagine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can't get rid of us. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So, so, like LinkedIn. So, and when I think about some of the, the most of the business relationships that I've developed over the last five years, most of the ones that have stuck have started on LinkedIn and been supported on LinkedIn because there's you just build up that level of familiarity and. And there's a real, a high level of social exchange, even though it's on, on a platform. And so those, those relationships and those friendships are real. And I think that's really valuable, especially today when we're stuck all locked at home. Yeah, totally. Okay. Well, gents, I think that was a pretty solid episode. So thanks very much. I hope everybody got something out of that. Just in closing, how do you follow or get in contact with Tino, Stu or Mark? So I think the best thing will be to put something in the mail, hit write a letter, and send it to post office box. <laughs> send, you know, money, gifts, cards, clothes. To, yeah. To, uh, of course, it would be by LinkedIn, right? So that is definitely uh, the best way. Yeah. <laughs> so send us a connection request or a message on LinkedIn. Make sure you say you heard us on the pod. We'd be really keen to hear anything you want us to discuss, or if you've got questions about how do you do this or how do you do that, how can I do that, what sort of messages should I be sending. How do I build a network? Any of those sorts of things, send us a message and we'll address them on the platform. As I said at our last one, give us a five-star rating and Tino will reach out to you personally and send you a thank you note. Uh, <laughs> Sign photograph yeah, to the post. I, well, I know. So, <laughs> well, he's the only one that's got the postcard-sized photos. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, so I think that's pretty much it. Stuart and Tino, thanks very much. Is there anything that I've forgotten? Apart from the alphabet, no, I think you're all there. You're all good. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Mark. Yeah, no problem. And I look forward to having you guys on the next masterclass. Look forward. Pleasure. Cheers, bud. Cheers, lads. If you like this podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Also, don't forget, you can help many other sales and marketing professionals simply by providing a rating for this show on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast. It really makes a big difference. Thanks for listening to the Boss Podcast. Join us next time for even more tactics, discussion, and ideas to help you improve your social outreach.